And continuing on in our mini-series, I've entitled Shepherds and Sheep in our study through 1 Peter, looking once again to verses 1 through 4 of 1 Peter chapter 5, I want to preach a message on the holy disposition of pastors, the holy disposition of pastors. Having considered the holy calling and responsibility of pastors from the first statement given in verse 2, in the time we have together this morning, I want us to examine the holy character or the holy attitude of pastors emphasized by Peter in verses 2 and 3. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Peter says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And by way of review, let me briefly reiterate the four biblical elements that are intertwined within the pastor's responsibility to feed the flock. If you were present last Lord's Day morning, you will remember that I pointed out from the first nine words of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, that the pastor's preeminent responsibility as a spiritual shepherd called and equipped by the sovereign shepherd is to feed God's sheep. And what is emphasized by Peter here is consistent of what we see in the men those who called by God as prophets in the Old Testament and as apostles in the New Testament. From Moses to Jeremiah to Isaiah to Malachi, we find that the preeminent responsibility of the prophet, of the Old Testament preacher, was to herald the truths of God's Word. And likewise, as we scrutinize how Jesus shepherded His first church in the New Testament as well as what the apostles gave themselves to in ministry in the New Testament, we find that the Bible is in perfect harmony regarding what under-shepherds ought to be giving their time, energy, and attention to. They ought to be giving their time, energy, and attention to feeding the flock of God. Why? Because to lead is to feed And to feed is to lead. So we ask the question, to what exactly is the pastor to lead others to? He is to lead others to the straight and narrow path that leads to Christ. He is to lead God's people in the pathway of righteousness for Christ's namesake. He is to lead the flock in knowing who the good shepherd is and how the good shepherd would have them to live. The preeminent responsibility of an elder, a bishop, a pastor, a gospel minister is to feed the flock of God. And connected with this truth are four subsequent components that need to be recognized in the pastor's responsibility to feed the flock. First, it's important to recognize what the pastor ought to feed the flock. 
He is to feed the flock, as we said last week, sheep food. He is to feed God's sheep, God's holy word. Why? Because God's word tells us that it is the means through which the sheep come to know God. It is the means through which the sheep come to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So shepherds are called of God to feed God's sheep that which belongs to the good shepherd, that which is in correlation with God. Second, it's important to recognize how the pastor is to feed the flock. And the only way a pastor can feed others is by feasting on God's word himself. The pastor can only shepherd others appropriately as he knows God's word accurately. Think of it through the lens of the airplane safety procedure. The only qualified people to help others put on their oxygen masks when the cabin has a loss of oxygen are those who are wearing oxygen masks themselves. So it is with the pastoral ministry. The pastor can only encourage God's sheep to breathe in spiritual truths of God as he is actively breathing in spiritual truths. So a pastor must be a man who dwells in the presence of the good shepherd before he dwells in the presence of the sheep. The pastor must be like Moses, getting his message, getting his sermons on the mount of God. And then coming down off the mount, he delivers it in the strength of the Holy Spirit that God gives. Third, it's important to recognize who the pastor ought to focus his time feeding among the flock. Verse 2 tells us that the pastors are to feed the flock of God that is among them. Peter tells us that pastors of local churches are not responsible to feed everyone generally and nobody specifically, but those that are under his care. So this means that the pastor is only responsible to feed those who belong to the particular congregation he has been called of God to oversee. As you read the New Testament, you find letters being written to specific churches, churches that were being shepherded by specific pastors. There are letters written in Revelation. These are specific bodies with specific overseers that are doing the work of ministry. The pastor is not responsible to feed everyone generally. The pastor is not responsible to feed nobody specifically, but those who are under his care, those that God has brought to the flock. And as I see it, this third truth strongly discourages pastors frequently traveling all over the place, speaking at other churches and conferences, causing him to be away from the flock that he has been called to feed. There are some pastors who are constantly away from the flock, chasing after a name, chasing after extra financial support, that the sheep who've come under his care not only grow spiritually weak in his absence, they begin to question their affection for them. So Peter says it's needful for pastors to give themselves to feeding who? The flock that is 
among them. And then fourth, it's important to recognize why the pastor has been called of God to feed God's flock. The pastor is to feed the flock for the salvation of those sheep who have yet to believe on Christ's name. Remember, Paul says, 1 Corinthians, that it has pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, and specifically preaching the gospel to save them that believe. Christ has sheep in every city, in every place, who have yet to enter into the fold. So as the pastor preaches the gospel, as the word of God goes forth into the community, Christ the good shepherd, through that preaching, is calling his elect ones, his chosen ones. Those who are his sheep who have not yet believed, who will believe. So that's why the pastor has been called of God to feed God's flock. And then second, under this point, the pastor is to feed the flock for the sanctification of those who are currently under his care. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting, the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The pastor is to feed the flock because through his feeding, the sheep become strengthened. Through his feeding, the sheep become encouraged. Through his feeding, the sheep are led in the way that they should go. And then finally, the pastor or pastors are to feed the flock of God out of obedience to the senior shepherd that they will one day stand before and give an account. Hebrews chapter 13, the exhortation given by the author of Hebrews, obey them that have the rule over you, obey them, follow them who are shepherding your souls because they are those who will give an account. And that's what we see in verse 4 here, 1 Peter chapter 5. God's shepherds are to shepherd God's flock. Because there's coming a day that they will stand before the chief shepherd. And when they stand before the chief shepherd, they want to hear from the lips of the chief shepherd, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now having examined what the pastor is called to do, I want us to zoom in on what Peter says regarding how the pastor ought to do what God has called them to do. In verses 2 and 3 of 1 Peter 5, Peter not only highlights the pastor's primary duty toward the flock, he also highlights the pious disposition the pastor ought to have before the flock. And once again, let me remind you that God through Peter is setting these truths before our eyes with the sole intention that pastors might remain accountable not only to God, but to the flock that they shepherd. Lest the church ignorantly follows, ignorantly supports elders who are not giving themselves to what they should be giving to, or lest the pastors start behaving in a way that is contrary to what God requires, God would have the whole congregation to know what the senior shepherd expects of those who are under shepherds. In other words, the good shepherd has given the sheep, the shepherd's manual, so that everyone remains in check. 
So expounding upon this short yet straightforward sermon given to pastors, I want you to notice with me how pastors are expected to shepherd among the flock. Listing them by way of contrast, their negative and positive commands, Peter provides us with three behaviors that ought to characterize the pastor's ministry. And Peter says first that pastors are to shepherd God's sheep cheerfully, not out of compulsion. They are to shepherd God's sheep cheerfully, not out of compulsion. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, not by compulsion, but willingly. And the truth that Peter is emphasizing in this first command is the truth that the pastor of all people should not be serving Christ among the church because he feels as if it is something he must do drudgingly. Should I spell this out? Drudgingly. Well, I guess I better go study to preach on Sunday. I guess I better make those pastoral visits I need to make. I guess I better give some time in making sure the Sunday school teachers have what they need to teach the children of our church. I'd rather be out golfing with my other pastor friends. I'd rather be at the gym lifting weights. I'd rather be at home playing video games with my kids. I'd rather be watching the Lakers on TV. But I guess I'm the pastor, so I better perform my duties. This is exactly what Peter is talking about. Peter is rebuking the mindset that pastors are obligated to fulfill their ministry because they have to, not because they want to. He's attacking the common temptation to treat the office of elder as a boring job rather than a blessed calling. And correspondingly, Peter is encouraging God's shepherds not to give way to ministerial laziness, which, by the way, is a common temptation and danger for all pastors to give way to. As Peter is preaching to the elders of the flock, he is saying, don't do ministries as if you hate it. Don't go around constantly complaining how difficult ministry is. In your service to the Lord as an overseer of God's flock, you ought to serve God and serve God's people willingly with a joyful heart. Because being a pastor is a great holy privilege, not a great haunting curse. Now, let me make sure that we all understand that the call to ministry does include instances in which pastors are fiercely attacked by the evil one. The call to preach does involve a heavy burden and a heavy way that only those who are called to pastor and preach know of. The call to pastor often comprises instances where he has to protect the wolf or protect the flock from wolves. And the call to shepherd often leads to moments which the sheep who are among his flock bite for whatever reason. The pastor has been called of God to lead God's flock. The pastor is called to lead God's soldiers in the battle. 
being at the forefront of the line. And with this comes moments that he's tempted in ministry. And he demonstrates to others that he detests what he does. And we find instances of this in scriptures. Moses is a shepherd. And there were times in Moses' ministry where he just wasn't as joyful as he shouldn't have been. As he, he, he wasn't as joyful. And then Jeremiah wanted to quit. The prophet, Elijah, Jonah, and even Peter himself, the one writing this letter. Did not Peter have a time in his ministry where he wanted to throw it all the way? Wasn't Peter sulking in self-pity, feeling sorry for himself on the shores after Jesus died? So we must not forget that these men who were in ministry were men. Like all people, these godly men battled the world, the flesh, and the devil. As men of like passions, they wrestled to maintain strong faith in the Lord. Yet nevertheless, God teaches us through their failings that gospel ministers are to be men who ought to throw off serving the Lord in a spirit of drudgery so that they might endeavor to serve the Lord in a spirit of delight. In each one of these occasions that I've listed, in Moses and Jeremiah and Elijah and Jonah and even Peter, we have the example of God coming to His servants in their drudgery and trying to encourage them in the Lord so that they might do their ministry in the right spirit. God doesn't want God's ministers to do ministry in a wrong spirit. And I submit to you this morning that only a true call to salvation, only a true call to preach will give a pastor such joy in the midst of battles. Only a calling of God will keep a minister faithful to his task. Much of the reason... Some pastors preach and pastor with such a stiff, sour, and sluggish spirit is due to the fact either, number one, he is not a Christian man, or number two, he has not been called to ministry. If a Christian minister really doesn't want to do what he's doing continually, but for whatever, for whatever reason he continues to do it regrettably, it would be better for him to reform his ways, to get his heart right with God, or to get out of ministry altogether. Now, why do I say this? I say this because when a shepherd preaches, when a shepherd pastors in a spirit of continued dread rather than delight, it causes a myriad of problems. It can cause unnecessary grievance and bitterness to the life of a pastor and his family. It can bring a dampening spirit upon the church that wants to be led and fed. They're hungry but the pastor doesn't want to feed. And above all, it brings a sour testimony of what the Christian faith is to be about to a lost and dying world. You see, the Christian life is to be a life of joy. And who's to exhibit that? The pastor, the leader, the one preaching the word of God. The Christian life is to be a life of happiness and blessedness, even in the midst of difficulties. Newsflash, the pastors are not the only one going through difficulties here in 1 Peter. Who's Peter addressing? Peter is addressing shepherds who are shepherding in the midst of fiery trials. And he is telling them in the midst of the fiery trials that they, along with other Christians, ought to serve the Lord 
with a spirit of rejoicing, not a spirit of resentment. Peter's preaching to the whole congregation here, to the pastor and the people, to the pulpit and the pew. The Christian message is the Christian message, no matter what position they serve in. The first truth that ought to characterize those who shepherd God's people is a spirit of joyful willingness. And then moving on to the second truth, Peter tells us there at the end of verse 2 that it is needful for pastors to shepherd God's sheep contently, not covetously. Contently, not covetously. So truth number one, pastors are to shepherd God's people cheerfully, not out of compulsion. Truth number two, pastors are to shepherd God's people contently, not covetously. Verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And this phrase, filthy lucre, in the authorized version can be translated as shameful or dishonest gain. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, Titus 1, 7, we find that listed among the qualifications of overseers, God exclusively says that they are not to be men who are covetous of getting money. So you sit there and say, is it possible for those who call themselves Christian minister to hunger after riches? It's not only possible, unfortunately, it's a detestable reality. And the examples of this extends from one extreme to the other. On the one hand, there are so-called Christian ministers, otherwise known as tele-evangelists, who have mega-ministries, who shamelessly manipulate others to give to their ministries if they want to be blessed of the Lord. All while they flaunt their riches to the world. On the other hand, you have those who call themselves Christian ministers who are not hot shots on TV, who do everything they can within their small flock to become warm and friendly with the rich among the congregation while scheming to take advantage of those among the flock who have lots of dough. Showing partiality to those who are friends with the Benjamins. And then in the middle of these two extremes, you have pastors who are continually whining and complaining about how much money they think the church should be paying them, all while their family lives it up, spending their money foolishly. Now, let's make sure that we keep a proper balance of biblical truth as we did in our first point. The Bible does expect churches to support their pastors. God's Word specifically says that elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. I think we would all agree that there's nothing in Scripture that articulates that it is the church's responsibility to make sure that the pastor stays humble by not financially supporting him. Yet at the same time, the Bible explicitly says that the pastor is to be a man who does what he does, not because there's a paycheck attached to it, but because he loves the sheep and has a heart devoted to serve him, to serve them. And this, as Warren Wearsby points out, is the difference between a true shepherd and a hireling. Wearsby says a hireling works because he is paid for it. 
But a shepherd works because he loves the shepherd and his sheep. So on the one hand, the church ought to be aware of the fact that the call to pastor is not a clock-in, clock-out, 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. Most pastors I know do not typically get weekends off. They don't get extended amount of paid vacations and holidays. Most pastors I know put in 50-plus hours a week with no promise of retirement. Yet on the other hand, the church ought to be aware of the fact that the same pastors that I know happily serve the Lord with an eagerness of heart despite how many zeros are printed at the end of the paycheck. They serve the Lord not to become rich. They serve the Lord because they want to help others know Christ. So the pastor ought to be a man, Peter says, who ministers contently, not covetously. He is to be a man who is driven by the rewards he will get in heaven, not by the riches he will acquire on earth. This is a message for pastors. They need to know that should the pastor pull in in a Rolls Royce, wearing expensive jewelry, costing millions of dollars as he's dressed up in his silk suit, there's a problem. This man is flashing his riches before the eyes of others, and you cannot tie to that an Old Testament principle or a New Testament example. Now, the pastor is not specifically told to be like John the Baptist and eat honey in the wilderness, but the pastor is to be a man who's not seeking after riches. He's to be content with what God gives him. And then third, Peter tells us in verse 3 that pastors are to shepherd God's sheep as godly examples to the flock, not grueling dictators of the flock. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples or examples to the flock. Now, to understand what Peter is saying more thoroughly, it's important that we recall to mind the exhortation that Jesus gave to Peter and his disciples about leadership in Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus contrasts Gentile-style leadership with gospel shepherding that is expected among Christian pastors. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus says, ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's giving a contrast. Jesus goes on and says, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, Gentile-style leadership involves leading by manipulation and intimidation. Gentile leadership includes ruling over others in a domineering spirit. Gentile-style leadership has the idea of setting oneself up as the king, which often demonstrates itself through driving the sheep as masters. 
Do I need to describe this kind of leadership for you in detail in the context of the church? How about this? How dare you treat me like that? Don't you know who I am? I'm the pastor. I'm the man of God. I'm God's anointed. This is my church. It's my way or the highway. You better submit or else. And from the pulpit or in private counseling sessions, the one who calls himself pastor is micromanaging, belittling, and driving God's sheep to follow him and support him, acting like a little Lord. Happens all the time. Jesus says, these things ought not so to be. Jesus says, that's how Gentile leaders lead. That's how the unsaved world leads. It most certainly should not be how Christian pastors lead. Christian pastors are to be meek, not malicious. They are to be humble, not haughty. They are to be forgiving, not forceful. They are to be servants, not lords. And they are to lead by leading and feeding in an exemplary way, not by controlling and driving in an an egotistical way. Now, I've been told that there are two methods of shepherding in this world. There's an eastern approach to shepherding and there is a western approach toward shepherding. The eastern approach is to shepherd sheep by speaking to the sheep. The western approach is to shepherd sheep involving sheepdogs to nip and yip and frighten sheep to follow the one who sends the dogs. And therein lies the difference between the two philosophies of church leadership. One graciously and lovingly leads and feeds. The other sternly controls and drives. And Peter is telling these pastors that in ministry, it is needful for them to remember that they are to be overseers, not overlords. The flock is not theirs. It's Christ's. The people whom they shepherd are not their people. They're Christ's bride. And the best way they're going to earn the respect of the people is not through their harsh exhortation, but through their holy example. Do you see that? Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Peter says it's needful for pastors to remember that among all the things that God has called them to do, there's nothing more important than for a pastor to be a living, breathing example of what he preaches. I like what Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane says. He says, quote, In great measure, according to the purity and graces of the instrument, will be success. It is not great talents God blesses, so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is a powerful weapon in the hand of God. And he goes on preaching to pastors. McShane says, Study universal holiness of life. Your whole usefulness depends on this. For your sermons last but an hour or two. They were a lot longer back then. But your life preaches all the week. Your sermon lasts for 30 to 45 minutes. 
but your life is preaching all week long. So focus on your life. So taking all that Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 3, condensing it down to one concise statement, I think it's safe to say that the one thing that is most needed in the life of a Christian pastor is that he strive to be like Christ. If Peter is calling the pastors to do one thing, I see that he's calling on them to shepherd like the good shepherd. Think about it. Jesus did not take upon him the form of a servant and become obedient unto death because he was forced to. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Jesus didn't grudgingly do ministry because it was the Father's will. He joyfully did ministry because it was the Father's will. Jesus didn't go around doing good to others out of compulsion, but out of compassion. Jesus did not minister for money. He contently ministered so that people might be helped and that God might be glorified. Jesus was not a harsh shepherd who forced people to submit to him. Jesus was a meek and lowly shepherd who was leading his sheep by feeding them the truths of God's word. So knowing these biblical truths, the question now is, what can we do with them? How can we take what we know and put it into practice? Well, real quick, let me give you three points of application. Number one, God's people need to expect their pastors to strive after exemplifying these virtues. Now, take careful notice of what I say. I did not say that you need to expect your pastor to be perfect. That's a wrong expectation. I said you need to expect your pastor to strive after exemplifying these biblical behaviors. Now, remember, your pastor is a finite created being who struggles against the world, the flesh, and the devil, just as you do. Nevertheless, the pastor ought to be someone who takes his calling seriously. He ought to be someone who walks with God. He ought to be someone who is mature, not immature. He ought to be someone who's growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So getting real practical under this point, if a church is looking for a new shepherd, what aspiration should be at the top of their list? If I should die next week, what is it? that Calvary Baptist Church is going to put at the preeminent desire for a pastor. That he has a PhD? That he knows Greek and Hebrew? That he's an amazing orator? That he's a man with a charming personality? Or that he's striving with all of his being to be a humble minister who walks with Christ? And if... For whatever reason, God moves you to another city. If God moves you to another flock, this is the application. What should you look for in a church? The best coffee? The best donuts? The most talented rock band? The most enjoyable programs for the kids? The pastor who's the funniest and tells the best jokes? Or the pastor who's diligently giving himself to prayer in the ministry of the word. Even if you don't agree with him on every point. Can you see that there is something 
of the essence of Christ in His preaching and ministry. That's point number one. God's people need to expect their pastors to strive after exemplifying these biblical virtues. Point number two, pastors need to do their utmost to exemplify these virtues. Now I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to pastors who may be listening to the sermon online. A pastor needs to recognize that just as much of his time and attention needs to be given to the examination of his own heart and life as there is an examination of his sermons. Character building must come before sermon building. If a pastor preaches one way and lives contrary to his preaching, he is building up with one hand and tearing down with the other. So what can we learn from 1 Peter chapter 5? Verses 1 through 4, we learn that pastors need to do their utmost to exemplify these biblical virtues. Success is not about busyness. Success is about walking with Christ. That's That's what our world needs more than anything. That's what we're lacking. What are we lacking in America and Christianity? I'll tell you, we're lacking men who will dwell in the presence of God. We have too many Peter Pan pastors. They don't want to grow up. They want to stay in Neverland. It's time to grow up. It's time to break away from the toys, the junior church setting, the snacks and the prizes. Come on, we're in battle. We're in war. We're the pastors who are exemplifying these virtues. Pastor comes out casually. Hey, how you doing today? Y'all ready to worship or what? Let's have a good time. Give us some men who know their God. Give us some men who know their Bibles. Give us some men who will tell us truth in the midst of difficulty. This is what we need. Men who will say, follow me as I follow the Lord. Not only do what I say, but do as I do. And then point number three, as I mentioned last week, it's needful for all of us to pray for pastors. And in your prayers for pastors, make sure to pray for their personal holiness. Pray that God would clothe, please, clothe your pastor in Christ-like humility. What the church needs are not hired ministers, but holy ministers. We don't need to fill a position. That's not what we need. We don't need the machine to keep going. We need the oil of the Spirit. That's what we need. We need the presence of God. So as we've seen from the text, it's possible for the pastor to be tempted with the sins of laziness, covetousness, and pride. Even the best of men. The best of men are men at best. If the man after God's own heart can fall into various sins, surely any pastor can fall into sin. So pray. Pray that pastors might feed the flock cheerfully, contently, and compassionately in a Christ-like spirit.